If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Coming up, Zoe McBride. Yeah, I talked to them a little bit, but then it was also hard because I was like, I knew that they were so excited for me to go to the Olympics and I knew how much, like I knew how proud of me they would be and so I found it hard to talk to family because I was like, I don't want to disappoint them. This is an unreal story, this one, and I can't thank Zoe enough for sharing it with me. Zoe McBride was a three-time world champion for rowing, but that success came at a huge personal toll, physically first in the form of an obsession with her weight, then mentally. And it all came to a head in April last year when Zoe and her rowing partner, Jackie Kittle, were gearing up for the Tokyo Olympic Games where a medal was almost a certainty. They never made it to the Olympics though, because after endless months of wrestling with demons, Zoe made the call to put her physical and mental health first, a move that crushed not only her own Olympic dream, but Jackie's as well. This is the incredible story of Zoe McBride, the rower who could have had a gold medal, but decided to put her mental health first. Let's go. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harvey. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harvey. Runners only with Dom Harvey and Zoe McBride. Hello. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, good. You identify as a runner now? Um, getting there. What do you mean getting there? <laughs> I I enjoy running. I actually love running. I've always loved it. Um post rowing has definitely been my time to get running back in my life. It's been a little bit up and down. Um, I guess post rowing and post I guess the health kind of things my body went through I can't handle a huge load just with my bones and things so right. it's, it's kind of like building that up but running is what gives me a lot of enjoyment and satisfaction so we're getting there physically mentally or both mentally yeah. and physically yeah. to be honest like I I think from coming from being an athlete like I love pushing my body and I guess running is one of those things where it's it's just you and your body. You just need a pair of shoes and you can run anywhere and that's what I always found after regattas and competitions like if I was cross training running is easy to do everywhere oh, and then pretty much every sport is easy to do compared to rowing. Yeah. <laughs> every sport is easy boat. compared to rowing. <laughs> rowing is not a sport that you can just yeah, yeah. jump on when you're on holiday um, with these. <laughs> well, so, um, thanks so much for joining me on on the podcast. So how old are you? What are you now? How old are you? I'm 27 September. 27. You were the yeah. world champion by the age of 20. Mm. You won three world titles. Mm. Um, when did you start rowing? I started rowing year nine, so I was about 13, yeah, when I took it up, first year of high school. Right. Why? Oh, I'd done, what was the motivation? Yeah, I grew up, like, I did, I did so many sports, and definitely the Olympics was probably the first 2008 Olympics I remember seeing rowing on the TV. I remember the Eversundals race, and then also Mahe Drysdale, where he raced the bronze when he was, like, severely sick but the main thing I remember that was just how did rowing work like I could see them like coming going up and down the boat with these oars and things and just I guess figuring out how it worked what do you Um, mean what do you mean how it worked I honestly like was just (laughs) confused how they were like on how they were going backwards and forwards like I didn't know if they were sliding on their bums like I didn't know that they had seats in the boat it was just like it kind of fascinated me I think a lot of sports looked quite simple I'd played them (laughs) And rowing was just, yeah, I'd never really been exposed to it. 
Um, and how, how does it work? Are you sliding on your bum? No, no, not in conventional rowing. There's some rowing that you do. Right. I think surf boat rowing. Yeah, put your budgie smugglers on. Um, right, put but- some Vaseline on your bum. But we're on, it's like there's two slides and then you're on a seat with wheels on it. So you're basically rolling up and down the slide on the seat. Um, yeah, with your feet strapped in to hold you in place. How hard is it like to balance that boat? Is it surprisingly oh, difficult? Yeah, it is. My yeah. first year, I could not stay in a boat. <laughs> the club prize giving that year, I won the best swimmer of the club because I fell out so many times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a natural rower. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I think that's probably what made me stick at it, though, because I wanted to be good at it, and not being good at it, not being good at it, was um, more annoying to me. So you start when you're 13. When did you realize that you had sort of some potential or something? Um. Pretty early on, we like we were really involved in the school racing and twice were being so close, we headed down to every regatta we could. Um, and we managed to find a double that clicked really well. Like There was only two of us at our school, but we managed to make a combination that started to go fast. In our first year, we won. Um, we got a third in the under-15 double at nationals, which was pretty cool, the school nationals. And then... I moved into the single the following year and it just seemed to move and I seemed to be producing good results and I think from there I just, yeah, I just kind of kept going and the training that I was doing just, yeah, was paying off and I seemed to be performing. So you start winning, so you get a taste of that success. Yeah. And then you just want more and more as that sort of... Yeah, pretty much. I think for me it was kind of seeing how fast I could go and I was... I actually never thought of, I think, yeah, in races I just tried to push myself as hard as I could and I felt like I kept having more that I could give or each year we just trained a little bit harder or we trained a little bit smarter um, and I would improve. So it was kind of like an addiction to improving, I guess, and seeing right. how fast I could go. So the double that you're talking about, that's sort of like what um, Eric Murray and Hamish Bond did. Same sort of thing uh, two or Two oars rather than one or two oars. Right. But, yeah, the double is... God, it's so confusing. There's so yeah. many different. <laughs> There's so many combinations. <laughs> yeah, but two oars each, two like smaller oars, um, and yeah, it's. I mean, the pairs definitely the what Eric Murray did. That's definitely harder to row, I would say, because you've got one or each person, and that dynamic has to be has to click really well. But yeah, for the double, we just jumped in together, and it seemed to go. You were doing a thing called lightweight, is yeah. that right? Yeah. And what, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> so lightweight rowing is to race, you have to be a certain race weight, basically. The crew average um, for the double, it's 57 kgs, and then for the single, it's 59 kgs. Okay, so there's, there's two of you in the double, so you're allowed, are you allowed like a combined weight of 114? So it's a crew average of 57 kgs. Right. Yeah, so, you know, I could be... 59 kgs, but my doubles partner would have to be 55 kgs. And 59 59 was the maximum weight you could be as a lightweight, but you could, as long as the crew average was 57, you could kind of play around. But, I mean, at that weight, there's not a lot to play around with anyway. (laughs) They they still have that at school? No, they took it out. It seems mad. Yeah, it was wild. It came in, I think, the second or third year I was rowing, so we did race it a few times. Um, but they took it out a few years ago because it just, I mean. It's basically it's, encouraging. It's pretty obvious, yeah, that it's encouraging like disordered behaviours. And I remember even when I was at school, like some girls dieting that were, you know, they were 14, 15 years old. And so I'm really glad that they did make that very smart decision to take it out. What, what was your, your sort of natural weight at high school? I mean, I was guess it around it, that weight? Yeah, yeah, I would say it was. Yeah, mm. I mean, at high school it was fifty nine kgs. So they didn't push you down to the fifty seven, but yeah, I, I mean, I was young. I didn't pay much attention to my weight, but yeah, I was around that yeah, weight yeah. pretty easily. So, but so you weren't, you didn't have like an obsession with the scales and weighing yourself through high school, mm. or you still did. I like I definitely weighed myself like more than I would have if I wasn't lightweight rowing because I did have to be aware of it. But I didn't like diet down to it. I didn't manipulate my weight in any way. It was right. kind of like jump on, like sweet, it'll be we're racing kind of thing. Um, and you didn't sort of go without anything through your high school years in terms of you know like McDonald's in the <laughs> weekend or K Fried or. Um, I 
I probably did, but I felt that was a serious athlete part of me. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like athletes like, don't do madness. Yeah, yeah like I, at the Olympics, but they get it for free. Exactly. I yeah, I took it quite seriously when I was young. So I would say it was probably more my serious attitude rather than the lightweight, but right. it, it could have influenced. Yeah. So you leave school and then yeah. um, you're the world champion at twenty. Where where, mm. where was that? Verizon in Italy. Right. Yeah. Shit, you got to go to some cool places, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. No, I, yeah. Looking back on it now, like it's incredible the countries that we went to for sport yeah. and things. It's pretty cool. Like it's yeah. a pretty cool way to see the world. So, was that a the world champion at 20? Was that a single thing or was that a double? Yeah. Okay, no, that was actually France. It was That was the single. So, I did. Under- oh, France, at least. All the places I've been. <laughs> oh, okay, he's still confused. <laughs> yeah, so there was a couple of like under 20. There was an under 23 year prior to that. But yeah, that was in the single, yeah. the lightweight single. So that was a non-Olympic boat class. But um, yeah, it was at the World Champs and things. How good did that feel? It was pretty cool. It was pretty surreal. Um, that year, I was lucky enough to do the under 23 double and then do the single as well. And for me, like being the first year of elites, it was kind of, and being in the single, like I loved the single because I spent so much time in it through school, um, being a small school. So it was pretty cool just to, yeah, have the opportunity to race, and I remember racing against, you know, like second, third, fourth were in their 30s, and so I didn't really have these huge expectations, um, and yeah, I remember it just being a really cool race, like, I was bloody nervous, but um, yeah, to go and travel for three months as well, like, that was my first proper tour, it felt quite surreal to be in that experience, like, yeah, so young. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm. You say you're so nervous, Did these? you, you have nerves... Like good nerves or bad nerves before a big event? Um, you, you know what I mean? How yeah, yeah, seems, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when I was younger, I think it was it was like a little bit too many nerves. Um, like for how long beforehand? <laughs> a couple of days um, or the morning? Oh, off? like in school, I used to like we used to be driving up, and I'd almost like wish that the wind would come up so I'd be can- cancel racing. Like I don't know, I put so, I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was younger, and I think because I was quite successful from being. At a young age, like it just it added to that pressure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by the time I got overseas, it was kind of like the day of stress. But I think like a lot of things, once you start warming up, once you get into your processes, like getting on the water, then the nerves would go away a bit more. It was kind of just anticipating what was coming. Mm. Um, Why? Because um, just like fear of failure or fear of um, not living up to your potential or... Yeah, I, I was quite driven by fear of failure. I think I, yeah, like I said, I put really high expectations on myself and then um, I guess through world rowing, like I, there was obviously... Like, my first forgetter is um, in the elite group in the single, I set the world record. And so there was a lot of expectation mm, on me. Wow. And I wasn't quite at the age where I was able to, like, deal with the expectation. So I felt the pressure from others a lot. And then that added to my own expectation. So, yeah, it was a fear of failure. And then I guess before I was actually on the water, like, I just felt out of control because I didn't, like, once I was on the water, I had those things. Like, I could control my warm-up. I could contr- control... Um, yeah, the time frame that I got on the water or what I was eating and things like that. But yeah, that morning of you've got your pre-race routine, but before that, it's a little bit yeah, mm. just hectic. Oh, I, I can't even begin to admit. I'm I'm the same with um running events. Mm. I'm I, like I'm not even a very good runner. Like I'm mm. I'm not going to win any races. <laughs> I'm not going to set any world records. Yeah. But I'll line up for an event and I'll be. I'll be on the cusp of vomiting beforehand. And then <laughs> yeah. as soon as you start running and doing yeah. what you train for, it's fine. So yeah. I cannot imagine the pressure and the stress and the anxiety mm. of dealing with being that good at yeah. that age. It's good, but it's a lot, yeah. <laughs> like it, it helps drive you, I think. Like The pressure's good to a point, but then obviously when it gets to the point where it debilitates you, then it's yeah not, not super helpful anymore. Some people thrive on that stuff, eh? They yeah. froth over it. Yeah, like I did... At the same time, I loved the pressure. Like, and even now, I feel like I perform the best when I am under pressure because there's no time to kind of muck around or, yeah. So you leave school and you have all the success, and then you're in your in your twenties. When do you start? Because you're still doing the lightweight thing where you got to be like fifty seven kilos. Yeah, yeah. When does your weight start becoming like an issue? Um, like looking back on it, it's hard to like pick a moment, yeah. but I would say. 
2017 was the year that I moved from the single into the double. So um, that weight went from 59 to 57 kgs, which doesn't sound like a lot. But at that same time, I was probably like 23-ish. So Mm. I feel like that was like along with my body kind of changing or, yeah, being under dieting and kind of weight restriction for a while. So, yeah, 2017 was when... I moved into the double and that year was actually okay but it was the year afterwards that I started to get injuries and I hadn't been injured up to that point and then the off seasons I would notice my weight would bounce up quite a lot more than it used to and so I guess that's when yeah the stress and the more focus kind of intensified. Yeah when you say your weight, your weight bounced up in the off season um, uh, like how much like early 60s? Yeah, so I would. I it's, would it's still not a lot. Which isn't what, a lot. What are, yeah. you, what are you now? You're sitting in front of me now. You look very healthy. I'm probably like 65. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, a, that's like a good natural weight mm, for you. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, like early 60s, like it's not like that was still probably not a super healthy weight for me at the time. Like it still could have gone higher. But mm. for me, and I was so hyper fixated on the weight and the like the higher my weight went, the more stress I had because then I had to think about more weight losing and kind yeah. of plan more weight into it. And so it was very much like a control thing for me and I hated that it would increase more than I had allowed it to in my mind, which is crazy that I thought that I could control what my weight was going to do and what my body was wanting to do. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what I thought. So you're just obsessing about food all the time. Mm, yeah, it was... Obsession, obsessing about food, obsessing about weight, like obsessing over the scales and like okay. even like to the point where I was, I would look at my calories like post row and think if I burnt enough calories, um, <laughs> enough calories I'd set in my mind that it was an ideal amount, um, deciding if I'd bike to trainings or not that afternoon, um, depending on the workload. Yeah, I got it definitely infiltrated like most areas of my life. And how, how often are you weighing yourself? Like every couple of days? Um, there was a point that I would weigh myself like morning, post row, and then afternoon, evening as well. Like it got, there was a while that, yeah, it was a lot. And then I think probably 2018, I got a little bit injured. So I had time off the bike and was a little bit heavier for a while. And then I just completely avoided the scales. Like I became scared of the scales. And so then that was... Like oh, because you didn't want to see the number because yeah. you knew it wasn't... Yeah, like if I didn't see the number, ah, then I didn't have to deal with it. Like right. I kind of went from your yeah, hyperfixation to almost like avoidance. Um, yeah, but you're avoiding it, but you also... I was stressing about it <laughs> yeah, and I was stressing yeah, about what yeah. I needed to do, but I was avoiding it because, I don't know, it's like anything, like if... Oh, this is... It's, it's like I'm sorry, this is such a stressful story. What a way to live your... <laughs> were, were your parents worried about you? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think the issue was like they didn't actually live with me. Like they were down, oh, okay, in D- they were living down in Dunedin at that point, and I was up in Cambridge. And yeah, I think everyone kind of knew that lightweight was a bit of a struggle. But yeah, like it's something that I was doing, I was successful, and it was like important for me to keep rowing. So I didn't want people to know as well, like what I like how I was struggling. Did you like have a bit of guilt and shame? I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think, yeah, like I wasn't stoked with what was happening. But for me, I was like, this is the only way I can keep going and rowing. And there was kind of no other option in my mind. And so I just, to get to the Olympics and to kind of keep going, I just had to keep doing the same thing. Mm. And yeah, I was worried that if someone kind of, I talked to someone about it, then they would stop me and then it would kind of de- <laughs> yeah, then yeah, it would yeah, derail yeah, everything. Yeah. Like it was, I guess it's like that obsession that, I don't know, and I feel like a lot of people, like ambitious athletes and things, like you'll do anything to get to the top and to keep going, and I kind of took it a bit far. Do you know um, the Flanagan sisters? You know two Raw sisters? Mm. Yeah, I had Rosa Rosa on the podcast. There's so many parallels with your story and hers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, She was on land, not water, but um, (laughs) same sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, and I think it's really hard, like this – it's not like a definitive line. Like I feel like with so many things you'd think like if I have a problem, I'll know. And, and the more you kind of keep going, you keep pushing that bar back a little bit and you just, yeah, you can kind of just fool yourself a little bit because it's not, it's not like black and white. It doesn't happen tomorrow. It's really, really slow progression. Yeah. So did you, what, what foods did you enjoy? Or, or did you, if you had food that you enjoyed, did you mm. just feel like riddled with guilt afterwards? 
Yeah, I would try like not have foods that I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> you must realize how fucked up that sounds. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, it was brutal. It wasn't. Yeah, I think I like I do. I definitely wasn't. Didn't feel like myself, you know. But I. Yeah, so I would try not to have foods that I enjoyed that much. But when I would, I would kind of overdo it as well. So then I would feel guilty. Yeah, it yep. wasn't like a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. What 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 foods did you enjoy? Obviously, like chocolate, pizza, Yum. burgers. I don't know. Just in, it was probably what my body needed. Like the fatty foods is yeah. what my body was actually craving as yeah, well. For sure. Um, I don't know. Love. A, I have definitely have a sweet tooth, but try. Oh, to. don't we all, sister? Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah, so, so your big goal was the um, the Tokyo Olympic Games. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah so that was a couple of years ago, and you mm. were partner on the doubles with um, Jackie Kittle. Yeah. Well, um, well, first of all, before we go any further, like, so you talk about this lightweight thing. Mm. Is is there not like a heavier class that you could have gone into? Yeah, there is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wh- why couldn't you do that? Like I could have, and I mean, in two thousand and seventeen, I at nationals, I won the prem single. I won. Yeah, I won the lightweight single and the prem single. So I was like absolutely competitive in it, and I. I'm sure I could have done it. I did consider it a few times, but I think I had been on that lightweight journey, so I wanted to kind of keep going, okay. and I'd almost like made that mark, and I'd got to the point where I got the world record, I'd done the under-23 thing, the, the, the lightweight single, and then getting into the double in the Olympics would kind of just, like I'd, I'd had done the whole lightweight. Yeah, it seemed like a natural and got sort of them progression. All. Yeah, yeah, like I would have. Yeah, I would have got them all, I guess. Um, like Pokemons. Yeah, <laughs> got to catch them all. Yeah, I think it was that, and then it was also like fear of like if I was going to go into the other boats. Yeah, like at that point, I was like didn't have a great perception of my body, and um, I was yeah fearful of like putting on weight as well. It's right. quite silly thinking about it now, but um, yeah, I think I just wanted to. Yeah, sure. Lightweight, yeah. Okay, so so you and you, you and Jackie, how how does the sort of um, partnership form? Like, how do you team up with a, a partner for the doubles? Yeah, so we have trials every year, um, and that starts with the two k erg test in a squash court with the selectors watching you behind the glass screen, uh, a coach behind you with a spew bin, and then a fan in front of you. It's great. It's wow. a great setup. <laughs> Well, so two kilometres on the um, the, the, on the rowing, rowing machine. machine. Yeah, yeah. How long does that take? Um, my PB is six fifty six. So that's just like absolute balls to the wall for seven minutes. Yeah, yeah the first yeah. two hundred and fifty metres, you're like, nah, I got this, and then about <laughs> three fifty, and you're like, okay, I'm starting to hurt. Right, and <laughs> how, how often does that spew bin get used? Um, I haven't used it to be honest, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of well, pe- you had nothing to throw up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people will. Manage to get themselves outside and then lie on the grass, potentially spew <laughs> there for a while. <laughs> if you weren't involved in the rowing program, yeah. you'd think it was some weird type of torture. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not painting a great picture of the sport, I have to say. Okay. Yeah, so you have the 2K test yeah. and then it's like seat racing on the water. So seat racing is depending on how many people you've got. Like sometimes we had a few of us, sometimes it was just like Jackie and I trialing in the later years. But Basically, they'll give they'll, each morning they'll give you crew combinations. They'll tell you who's going out in the water, and they'll especially in a double. There's might be four people racing. They'll have X person, X person together. You guys will race fifteen hundred meters, and then you'll have a bit of a break. You'll swap partners, kind of thing. They're just trying to find the fastest combination. Sure. Yeah, like the gap that has the biggest lead. Um, and yeah, so Jackie and I in two thousand seventeen, yeah, got. Seat racing done, did a good 2K time, and yeah, we were put in the double, selected in the double. So it's, a, it's like an arranged arranged relationship in a way, isn't it? Pretty so much, yeah. personality type doesn't come into it at all. It's just how fast you are. Yeah, it's solely performance on the water. Wow. Yeah. I think what if I- you hate the person? Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Tough, you just tough do it. You just yeah, got to get yeah. on with it. I guess it's like your working acquaintance. Like you don't need to love them, but I said get on with it. <laughs> yeah, a just good, make it work. <laughs> a good relationship definitely helps, though, yeah, because yeah. then You're spending a lot you of time can together. discuss the hard things as yeah. well. And you, yeah, without 
Yeah. yeah. And you guys got on good? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah we we had rode together in Central RPC before, um, like, yeah, the regional performance centre when we were a bit younger and we'd done under-23s together as well in 2015, had a bit of a break. So we'd already, like, established a, yeah, a connection yeah. and things, so, And yeah. how was... Um, how was her relationship with um, with food and the weight thing? Is that something you discussed? Or it's was it- honestly not something that we discussed yeah. for a really long time. I think it was, yeah, I don't know. You just, you never really talked about it. I guess it's that whole mentality of like wanting to be tough and not wanting. I guess it's like, yeah, or- it was kind of like the mental health kind of, yeah, not wanting to show weakness. And I think in your sport as well, you don't want to have a weakness. And so it wasn't often talked about. Sometimes we'd yeah talk about it a little bit over the years as it was getting closer to weigh-in times, but predominantly throughout the year, you just kind of got on with it. Mm. So it's 2017 and you're yep. rowing together. Yep. When, when does it become clear to the peer of you that the Olympics are the big goal and that you guys were a real hope? Um, it was... I remember 2016, we both trialled for the double along with Julia and Sophie who were selected in the double. Um, and from the end of the trial where we were both unsuccessful, like we were pretty upset and we kind of knew that we both wanted to go to the Olympics in Tokyo. So I guess from there, and even be, like even before that, you always dream of going to the Olympics. But yeah, yeah from being selected in the double and then we went over to World Cups and we started, you know, we started performing. We got silver at the World Champs in 2017. So we were like, we're actually competitive, and this is like realistic for us to. Yeah. So you got you, you, you guys weren't weren't going to make up numbers, were you? You like no. you, you 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 would have been a real shot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Shit, that's a lot of pressure, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And there's like there is, hasn't been many lightweights in the program, and from like there wasn't backup for us either. Like Julia and Sophie both stopped rowing after. Rio um and so there was yeah there wasn't the depth like there had been in some other squads um or even with lightweight rowers overseas so that was another pressure of kind of like if something goes wrong like there's no one there to take Mm. your spot in some ways Mm. like or to keep the boat going at like the level that we'd set it at so this is um the Tokyo Olympics we're talking about they were supposed to be in 2020 2020 yeah yeah and then uh due to COVID postponed to 2021 yeah yeah so when When's the point where you get where, where you start to think this this fucking sucks and I can't do this for another year or two years or whatever? Uh, yeah, so it wasn't until the postponement that it was kind of um, more of that thought in my mind. I mean, end of two thousand and nineteen, I knew that it was going to be a push to get there, but like there wasn't an alternative of not going. Um, and so I had. Oh, it was like too late to pull out at that point if they if they were going to go ahead as. Oh, like not even too late, but I was just like, there's no way that I'm not going to the Olympics. Like I yeah. was still, yeah, I was. I had been working for that for so long, and to be less than a year away, yeah, like, like even before that, it never considered to me that I it was never an option that I wouldn't go. Um, and it was kind of more like you just hang in, you do what you got to do, and then afterwards deal with whatever's going on. Okay, so so then um, COVID comes along mm. and it's postponed. Well, I suppose it's even up in the air at that point. We didn't know if it was going to be yeah. postponed, right? Yeah, so they they did announce, like, the COVID came along. It took a while to announce the postponement. It wasn't too long. But even that, like, they say it was postponed a year, but you're like, is what is the world going to be like in a year? Like, yeah, no is one a knew. Yeah, actually, like, is it actually feasible to hold the Olympics? And right. it was, yeah, it was up in the air for a really long time whether that postponement date would actually go ahead. So all this time, I'm guessing you were you were – wrestling in your own mind uh, like with your own demons about whether you keep going at, at this thing that you're supremely talented at yeah or whether you throw it away that must have been like the hardest hardest decision ever yeah so it was I remember first thinking like fuck 16 more months like cause at that point I was five months away and to be like 16 17 months of this was just yeah that's a lot hard. of torture yeah. but I feel like I still was not like you're not possibly not going to go like I just didn't think about it it was kind of like just not weighing myself I just didn't think about like that much I was like just get through and then yeah I got a stress fracture in my femur so that took me out of the erg because we weren't actually rowing in the water at that time so that ended up being six seven months like actually out of the boat because I yeah I just didn't heal for a long time it took a while to like get back to actually being and strength, so I thought that was kind of what I had to deal with for a while. And at that time, I was actually trying to get healthier because I was like, "This is an opportunity to, I guess, like do it right." 
Yeah, fix yourself a bit. Yeah, I was like, I've got an extra year. Maybe this is my chance to like do it right and kind of improve my body and then race, but not in yeah, an unhealthy like not in the unhealthy way that I had been. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at, at this point, did you still enjoy training, or did, would you wake up in the morning and just sort of like dread the day ahead? Yeah, to be honest, I was pretty over it. I think I mm. burnt myself out a lot. Like 2019 was a great year, and um, I think though the years of stress post that World Champs had just started to catch up with me, and I was burnt out. And like 2020, to like we never fully addressed within the squad either, like how people were feeling with the postponement because you know like you make plans, you you after that 2019 that Olympic year like you know that that's going to be a tough year and we had been training really hard everything else had just it was just put on hold for a year and yeah the postponement happened and it was kind of just like move the goalpost business as usual so I really struggled with not having those open conversations that like yeah this actually really sucks that it's been put off a year and I think that definitely contributed to just I was just burnt out Mm. and just trying to push through but yeah, obviously that extra year to push through an extra year is a huge, oh, it's massive. huge thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That just yeah. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details daunting who, who, who were you living with who was in your support network who could you vent to yeah so I went home for a while um I just needed to get out of Cambridge so I went to see mum and dad and I just had an erg in the basement to try and train um yeah I talked to them a little bit but then it was also hard because I was like I knew that they were so excited for me to go to the Olympics and I knew how much like I knew how proud of me they would yeah. be and so I found it hard to talk to family because I was like I don't want to disappoint them um so yeah I guess like talking to my boyfriend and so, a couple of friends but I also felt at that point like I was really scared to let people in because I think I was like as soon as I start talking about it it's going to be more real and then I have to deal with it and so it was like still that same kind of thing like I was trying to push it down but I was bubbling over and it was kind of like starting to leak and you know things were coming out but um yeah so I I started to have little conversations here and there just like testing the waters with friends and yeah, with my boyfriend, like, talking about what would happen, like, if I didn't go. Because your boyfriend, he, he's a rower as well yeah. at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was rowing too. Was he, he um, a lightweight or? No, he was in the men's sweep squad, so right. he. Um, he was eating all the chocolate he wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was good. He didn't, he didn't like, blatantly do it in my face. <laughs> he was respectful. Every time you had the fridge door open, you're like, that bastard. Yeah, but then sometimes I think I would, like, feed him not like well not like feed him but like I would buy him nice things because I was like I can't have it but I like I want you to have it for me so I can like feel you know like I feel (laughs) like I'm in this experience yeah Yeah. God, what, what were you? Um, what were you like as a? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you're the right person to ask. He, he's probably the only one that can answer this. But what were you like as a partner at that time? It sounds like you would have been angry the whole time. Yeah, I. Were you a pain in the ass to be around, or were you like, were you just sad, emotional? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah I definitely like <laughs> couldn't have a laugh as easy. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, got it, like, people have done well to stick through me, like <laughs> through those phases. Yeah, you're probably not the easiest person to be mates with through this time, with all due yeah. respect. Yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know. I think with rowing though, 
like everyone was tired, so it was kind of acceptable to not yeah. be the most vibrant person because we did train so hard. We trained like 24 to 30 hours a week kind of thing. So everyone's just destroyed. Exhausted, yeah. Yeah, so to not have much of a personality was like quite normal for a lot of mm. people. So it kind of went a little bit under the rug as well. But if you were doing that sort of training, mm. so like say – an average of four hours, four hours a day, or whatever it happens mm, to be. Yeah, you need to fuel the machine. Yeah, you do. That's what I like about about running. I go for a long run. I can eat whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable, your poor body. Yeah, I don't know how. Like, I actually don't know how I did well. Like, I ate enough, but I didn't. I ate enough to get through, but it was pretty minimal. Um, it'd be great to. Th- like, it's great to think how fast it would have been if I had actually eaten properly. <laughs> wow. So, you're back home at your parents mm. with the rowing machine in the basement, mm. and you sort of test the waters there about mm. about you maybe not going to the Olympics. Mm. And so, so, when you leave them and go back to Cambridge, where are things at at that point? Yeah, so I guess by the time I was like in Cambridge, a few months rehab, and then September 2020, I was like getting back in the boat um, so at this point, this is like one year out from the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah, we've got we got through kind of the shitty on land training program. Had a bit of a break. Yeah, they pushed our break back a little bit and gave us like four weeks off, which was nice. Um, and then yeah, so I was coming back in, and I was like inspired to keep going. By what? Like I, it was. It's just like that dream of going to the Olympics. Like yeah. it had been my dream for as long as I could imagine and I couldn't imagine not fulfilling that. And I, yeah, so I suppose for you, like it's, um, I mean, it's a dream in itself. I've had some people on the podcast, like um, my friend Camille Bus come from yeah. Hamilton. <laughs> and for her, she's probably never going to win like an Olympic medal. But yeah. for her, success would be, I suppose, just going to the Olympics. Mm. But you, you're not just going there to make up numbers. Like you're, you're yeah. a real chance at you know, standing yeah. on the podium. Yeah, I mean, we won at World Champs in 2019. So, like, we were going in as the world champions. Yeah, it wasn't to go to the Olympics. Mm. I think to go to the Olympics and not place, I would have been disappointed. Like, I wouldn't have enjoyed my Olympic experience. Like, that was kind of the level that I was at at that time. Yeah, we were going there to win. Um, that's, like, what we had revolved our year around was winning. Yeah. It was There wasn't another option, to be honest, and that must make the decision not to go even harder. Yeah, and it's it's not only that, it's yeah, obviously it's like that internal pressure and those results and, and wanting to achieve and knowing that you're in a position to achieve, but it's like I'm with like Jackie's my doubles partner. Like we've been through this whole journey together these past few years, we've rode together, we've like shared tears, blood, sweat, miles and miles and miles on the water and yeah, it it wasn't just about me, it was about her as well. Like, and it was about her dream of like winning at the Olympics and um, oh, yeah, her yeah. journey. We, we, we got to get to that, but I, <laughs> I, I, um, I cannot imagine that conversation. Nah. I, oh my God, how do you, how, did she have an inkling something wasn't right with you or? Yeah, she had. And I know my coach had, like her and my coach had talked about it too. Like I was just, I didn't, I did everything. Like I, I could until I got to that point and I kind of I didn't real yeah I refused to I left it till like as long as I could once I'd like exhausted all my options but yeah that was a conversation that I dreaded and I like the last month I guess like when I was actually pretty seriously trying to make the decision it was yeah just so much guilt of what would happen if I decided that I couldn't go oh I can only imagine yeah okay so so when do you so when do you make the mind, make your own mind up that you're not going to the Olympics? And then how far after that do you do you tell Jackie? Yeah, so we had nationals in Feb 21, so last year. And, like, I loved nationals. It was so great. I feel like I definitely wasn't at my fittest, but I knew that I was, like, pretty close to, like, being there. So I was like, I can do it. I can make it. Um, but then after that, I guess, was when I had to start losing weight. Yeah. Over that summer, I'd actually been – or half the summer anyway, I'd been keto because I was like, if I'm not, don't, yeah, I was like, I don't want to diet stupidly. And so maybe like cutting out carbs and kind of doing that thing will help me 
You also need carbs to train. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> training yeah, yeah. was bloody That's hard. Sort of training you're doing. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god. Yeah. Um. And so I'd done that for a while, and like I felt really fit. I felt really strong, and my body actually felt really good. But I just, I wasn't near race weight. Like I was, I probably had like six and a half kgs to lose. And so I started trying to lose weight after nationals, and like over that summer, it just wasn't really going anywhere. And then I guess I started like dieting a little bit, and that's when I was like hold up like I can't do this and I'd like I'd promised myself that I wasn't going to do that and I just I didn't want to do that again like from that year when it was almost a year the year that I'd been in like my lowest point and I was like I don't I can't put myself back into that place purposefully for like a game yeah, you know like yeah. it was it was a, it's a sport it's like um not worth sacrificing my body so that was March-ish that I made I talked to my psychologist heaps and then I talked to my doctor and I was like just have to make the decision like I'm the worst decision maker in the world so it took me so long to get to it but yeah after nationals I was like there's no other option and I either make it now or I keep dragging it out and then I'm kind of impacting other people even more. I suppose it would have been an easy easy decision to make if it was just you. Yeah. Um, Was that what made it an extra hard decision? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was like it was the partnership it was everything and it Mm. was like the partnership that we'd built together and um, yeah, so it's like it's not just thinking about yourself. And if it was just about myself, it would be easier. And there was like part of me that was like, maybe I'll just get injured and then I can't go. Like then the decision, the fact that the decision was in my hands was the hardest bit. Mm. Um, yeah, but once I made the decision, or once I got, once I kind of tipped over the like the fifty fifty point, I was like, I know I've just got to have these conversations. As sucky as they're going to be. Oh my god, I'm such a gutless piece of shit. <laughs> I'd um, yeah, I'd, I'd ghost. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Zoe? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> New number. Who does? Okay, so so, so when is it? Like March, April, March, April. Yeah, it was like yeah. of last year. Yeah. And so, so the games were in August. Yeah. So it's like four months away. Yeah. Wow, that is so close. Okay. Yeah. Now, this is getting to the, the good bit. Well, the good bit for me, probably a terrible bit for you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, your partner, yeah. Jackie. So yeah. how, how does how does this happen? You go around and see her at home? You finish um, training? No, so... Send we her a had, text, then turn no. your phone on flight mode? <laughs> I talked to my coach, and he said... Yeah, I talked to my coach first, and then he was like, okay, I'll organise the conversation. It's quite funny. He's like, I'll, I'll take you guys to the velodrome because then we're in like a neutral place. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to see us or hear us like <laughs> things get out of hand or we're leaving separately. <laughs> um, yeah, so we yeah we were at the velodrome and like I'm pretty sure I was crying before I even went in. There. I don't think I could even like talk to any of them like before while we were going in. Um, Jackie must have known, eh? Yeah, and I think, like, yeah, she knew that I was struggling. We talked, like, a little bit about it. But I think my, yeah, like, my coach had talked to her a little bit as well and kind of been like, you know, if this is going to happen, like, what, you know? Like, he kind of warmed it up a little bit. Obviously, it was, yeah, obviously, like, even though he'd had those conversations, like, I don't think... She thought like that was what was going to happen. Like, I mean, it's like anything. You always want to stay positive and say like, yes, that's an option. But you know, we can do this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, you got this. It's only four more months. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was undoubtedly like the hardest conversation. And like up to that point, I hated having hard conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I loved. Well, at least you know now. Like, every difficult conversation you have in life is not going to be as difficult as yeah, that. That's so, yeah, that's shitting on someone else's <laughs> Olympic stream. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, basically. And, um, and, so, and how, how does she take it? Is she, is she, does she go through the, the stages of grief? Like, is she angry, yeah. angry at all? Or yeah, like yeah. yeah, there was, and like I, I didn't blame her. Like I, I completely accepted it because I was like, I would go through the exact same process. Like there's a, there's a whole lot of things coming up here and emotions, and like it wasn't my place to justify them or to try and make her feel better. It was just like to be there and talk about it and respect what she needed from me. Um, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was, it was very emotional, like for Mm, everyone. Um, no one likes to have those conversations. I didn't like to have a conversation, but like we (laughs) needed to be, we needed like the conversation, like we went in there, we're like, just everything's on the table, you know, like whatever you want to talk about, this is where we talk about it. And I think that was really good for both of us because 
You know, like mm. if she wanted to get angry, like or she wanted to say things, like or if I wanted to say things, like that was the place to do it, yeah. so that we could kind of process them, those emotions. Was there just absolutely no plan B? Like, is not not someone else they could have chucked on the boat for four months? And yeah, see, this was this was like a bit of the issue. Um, like there wasn't any lightweights that had been kept around in Royal New Zealand or developed. Like right. there was different, there was lightweights around, but there was a gap, a huge gap between like them and us. Like we had been the only lightweights in, in the summer squad in the Royal New Zealand program for those couple of years, so they weren't training the same as us or mm. anything. And so that was a lot of pressure on the both of us. Like that, it was us or nothing kind of thing. Like yeah. there's no second person. Um, I think yeah, there was someone that jumped in for like a few weeks to see if they could kind of take the place but they made they made the decision that the boat just wasn't kind of yeah gonna make it in time and um that it was kind of better just to leave it and then Jackie unfortunately didn't happen because of COVID but she was going to go and race a single instead at the world champs Mm -hmm. um so that she could have her race there um but yeah, obviously that didn't happen in the end. And how's um how's the relationship now? Uh, she she put a really nice post up on Instagram at the time. Yeah, and like she she was amazing. Like she was yeah, really supportive. Yeah. Like you go through your emotions, but at the end of the day, and like she reiterated it in that room. Like she was like, "I support you no matter what," and like I would never want you to sacrifice yourself like that. Mm. And it was like, and that's exactly what I would have been like as well. Like there's the grief of losing her dream, but you don't want to put someone else's life and health on the line or at risk because of your own dream as well. Like there's, there's, I think sometimes when you are in sport, like when you're young, you don't realize this, but there's so much outside of sport that's actually really important as well. Um, And it's about, yeah, realizing that sometimes that needs to take priority. Was part of you, I guess, scared in a way that, so you start this this journey when you're 13, and then you're you're 25, and mm. you've just been so for half your life you've been this um, successful rower, and you're about yeah. to go to the Olympics. Was was part of you afraid that like it was what defined you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that was it. Was what defined me. Like I hadn't. Well, no, in, in your mind it was. Yeah, in my mind it Not was. To other yeah, people, no, no, no. Yeah, 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 you're right. In my mind it was what defined me because, like you said, like I had been so successful early, and so many of those conversations and praises came from rowing. And so I associated that, and when I did get injured, um, there was an injury that I had in 2018, and that's where I kind of started to realise that I was a little bit, like, in the danger zone of that's what rowing was what I thought defined me. Um, So I think by the time it got to 2021, like, I was more aware of it, and I had done more to establish myself, like, my personal identity outside of rowing. Um, But, yeah, I mean... Especially like sports, when you're in like a centralized program, you live, like you move to be in that area. Mm. You flat with people that row. Most of your friendships are with rowers. Um, you know, every single day you're around that environment. Like it's pretty hard to separate yourself from that as well. So it's a pretty big adjustment. Yeah, yeah. When you <clears throat> when, when you first turn your back on it, it must just feel, I don't know, surreal. Yeah. Initially, it was like amazing because I had been burnt out. I was like, like a massive exhausted. weight off your shoulders. It was a huge weight of my sh- weight off my shoulders and just like a huge release of pressure. And it was like I could actually just do things for myself and prioritize like my own needs and health and things. And eating all the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Were you just um, living t- your best life immediately? Oh, I told people that I did that, but it did take me quite a while to get there. Like, there's like a lot of. Yeah, there was a lot of like fixation and focus on my weight that I really had to work on, like post that, um, because that was another thing that I thought that defined me was my weight, um, and I guess that's from a lot of your praise coming from when you're 57 kgs, because that's when you're winning things, and so that was definitely a work on. But I mean, having a boyfriend helps to just eat chocolate and, <laughs> and treats and things. So, like, I, yeah, I feel like I slowly kind of just did it through, like, the people that I lived with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned before um, seeing a psychologist that helped yeah. you. When did you start seeing a psychologist? I'd been seeing, like, we'd had sports psychologists and rowing and things. Um, so I'd been seeing them, like, on and off over the years. But and Is a sports psychologist the same as, like, just a, a normal psychologist that yeah, someone might go to for therapy? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our psychologists were clinical psychologists, yeah. so they were – fully trained and they'd done um yeah they'd done 
they'd practiced in other areas and things before moving to sport. So they were available there for that. But I guess in 2000 and it was in 2020, I sought out someone else that was outside the rowing because I was like, I just want to separate this from rowing because everything was at rowing, you know, even your appointments were at rowing and I couldn't separate those two things in my mind. And I was like, I just need to find someone that had literally knows nothing about rowing and kind of doesn't care about rowing. Um, so that's what I did. And I was lucky that I had like support from my doctor and things at Rowan New Zealand. So I had funding for that to go and do that. And I think that really helped because yeah. it just, yeah, it helped me. He didn't know anyone that was there. He didn't care about rowing and like in many ways, like he cared about me. And I mean, the other psychologists there I know would have been the same, but for me, I couldn't differentiate the two areas of my life. Yeah. And is that about the time you were diagnosed with depression? Yeah. And about that time? Yeah. I, I was diagnosed, I had seen another cl- clinical site before that actually. She was, she was like an independent one that was with high performance, but she left. And so that was when I went to seek someone else out. Um, yeah. And she kind of, yeah, diagnosed me with that. And then, so yeah, I moved to another psych after that. Yeah. To keep DLM. So the depression was just basically, wow. It's the craziest thing. So mm. there's this thing that you're, you're you're good at, and you did once love, and now it's 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 making you depressed. Yeah, I think it was just a combination of like the environment, the pressure that I put on myself. Obviously, like yeah, the dieting and the distorted relationship with food and everything. Like it was just a huge, like it was just too much, and I just couldn't deal with it in a healthy way anymore. Um, so yeah it did have a big effect on me. And, and like, it, it definitely made me forget why I enjoyed the sport and made me forget why I was doing it, yeah. Mm. And how were the Olympics last year, like, watching it? Um, yeah, that one took me by surprise a little bit. Like, I was quite emotional watching them. And I was actually, yeah, I talked about it with my psych and he was like, you know, like, when you, before I even, like, stopped rowing and announced it, like, I had let go of my identity of being as the rower and I'd let go of that kind of dream, but I hadn't dealt with the dream of going to the Olympics, so I think that's what came up for me. Like, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't like a jealousy thing. It wasn't like a wish I was there when I was watching the doubles and things. It was just, like, yeah, the realisation that that actually wasn't going to be me because when I did stop, everyone was doing the same thing. They were training. That's what we've been doing for the last two years. We hadn't gone anywhere, um, just training on Lake Carapera, so nothing had changed in that environment. But being overseas and seeing it, even just watching the double, and the commentators would like mention Jackie and I, who had won the previous year and things, and it was, yeah, it was oh, just dealing with that yeah. and the emotions that came up with, yeah, like the not going and realising that, like, for real, yeah. Mm. What's your what's your identity now? You're no longer Zoe the rower. Yeah. How would you um, how would you identify yourself now? Oh. How do you think other people would identify you? That's hard because I've been like really careful not to put like an identity <laughs> on oh, myself well, recently. Don't, don't, like, don't. yeah, I feel I guess like multifaceted. You yeah, know, like I well, no one needs to. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, even after sport. A lot of people put pressure on themselves to find the next thing and achieve it the next thing. So that's been hard to like overcome and realize that you can do something, you can do exercise for the enjoyment of it rather than needing to be the best. And like in the gym and things, that was hard for a while to wrap my head around. Like you're just used to being like great at something. So, well, that's the thing. Like that, that labeling, it only comes along when you're mm. wildly successful at something. Yeah. Like um, I had Kieran Reid on the the podcast. Like he will always be Kieran Reid, the rugby player, because yeah. he was that good. Yeah. Eric Murray, I've had him on. He's not going to be known as Eric the dancer, is he? No. <laughs> <laughs> Although he did do well, but yeah, exactly. Exa- and it's when it becomes like a public thing yeah. as well. That's when that label really, um, I guess, cements itself in your own brain because that's what you see all your, you know, like your mm. news about. Yeah. Yeah. How's your How's your mental health now? Are you good? Yeah, it is good. I think for me, like it really took getting out of that environment and things changed a lot. So it was definitely like environmentally based. Um, you know, like there's been work to do and I feel like still sometimes like there's things that come up, but that's part of being a human as well. We have those ebbs and of flows of, of life. Um, so yeah, for me, it's been learning what's healthy for me and what keeps me on track. Yeah. Um, yeah, to kind of deal with things when they do come up. Yeah. You're still seeing a therapist every now and then? 
every now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I think is helpful to have that person there to talk things through. Like mm. I just enjoy having that neutral, non-biased person. Um, yeah, it's it's nice. It's I, I was yeah. shit scared of going to going yeah. going to therapy for the first time because I was like, well, like I, I don't know why I feel bummed out, and, and I, I don't I don't know where to start. So you're sitting yeah. in a room with a stranger. It's the most terrifying fucking thing. It is. Yeah. And then a bunch of friends of mine said to me, "Oh, you've been. You know, sometimes it takes a few sessions before you realize if it's the person that you click with or not." And I thought, yeah. oh, I dreaded the thought of going and seeing someone for a couple of hours or whatever. Yeah. And then having to do it again and yeah. have that initial conversation. But it was fabulous. Yeah, a hundred percent. I find that I would just be able to talk about anything because they didn't know me, so it didn't matter what I told them. Like yeah. they weren't they didn't have any preconceived notion or anything about me. Um and it's nice like to go to therapy and like you're validated for what you're feeling and they're like, This is actually you know, like it's not you. I think so often we take things and we put them on ourselves. We're like, it's a me problem yeah. or like there's something wrong with me. But it's actually not. It's There's so many people that experience this and it's a product of X, Y, Z and things. So it's nice to have that. Yeah, and it just gives you a different way of reframing things yeah. and looking at things, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and you're never going to have a therapist that says, come on, Zoe, you're being silly. Suck it up, <laughs> yeah, come on. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the Olympics. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, you seem really well now. You seem really happy. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, I've got some new things that I'm working towards and I feel like... Are you like what? Like I'm studying. Um, yeah, so I'm actually doing some psychology study now, uh, which is challenging, exciting, and I guess it's given me like a new kind of purpose. Like I feel, yeah, like from my time as being an athlete, like I loved it, but it was also like it was about me. And so now I feel like what I'm doing to study is like it's about what I want to do for other people. So that's, yeah, it's really inspiring to me to keep going and it's it's cool to be in yeah, it's definitely a change being in uni, like properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, were you, we're recording this in my um, hotel room. You <laughs> came straight here from the uh, university library where you've been all day. Yeah, yeah. We're in like the crunch week at the moment, right. so that's um, yeah. I can't wait for the uni break. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like um, you know what you did as an athlete. It's almost like transferable skills in a way, and yeah. in a sense that you've 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 got that competitive spirit and that drive, so that whatever you put your mind to, you'll probably do well. Yeah, exactly, and that's. You, I mean, you always hear people talk, talking about those transferable skills, but then until you actually get into the situations, you know, like study or work and things where I'm like, okay, like I have actually, I know how to work hard. I know how to work under pressure. I know how to like work in a team and things like that. So it's actually, those skills are so valuable. And even now I feel like we are, we're in the stressful week, but I know how, like, it's almost like I thrive under the pressure. Like that's what racing is and things. So it's kind of makes me feel like better than usual. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's your relationship with um, the sport of rowing like now? When you think about rowing, what like do you, do you still enjoy like watching it? Do you have fond memories of the sport? Yeah. Or do you look back and sort of shudder? No, lots of fond memories, like yeah. lots and lots of fond memories. Like there's the people that you meet overseas, there's the friends that you make through the sport. Um, That's how you meet your boyfriend, isn't it? Yeah, ex- exactly. And it's like the travel like that we got to do basically, you know, um, every single year for a couple of months at the time of at a time. Um, Not that you got to experience the delicious yeah. foods overseas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I'm going to need to, like, redo that one. <laughs> so many things I missed out yeah. of food-wise. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I look back at Rowan now, I'm like, I could do it in some capacity in, like, a fun way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's cool. That's healthy. Yeah. And how long have you and your boyfriend been together? Couple of years, couple of years, yeah. right? And he's yeah. not—he's not rowing anymore either. No, he's not. But they actually, him and a few mates, they started. It's called like Barbarians Rowing Club, and the idea of it was kind of rowers that have represented New Zealand or competed at a high level, um, like coming back to do it socially and for fun. Because I guess it's like we said earlier, like rowing is really hard to do once you're not rowing properly, and mm. there's not really like a social. There's lots of masters roles that do it, but yeah, they kind of establish this club that trains by them, like they kind of train in their respective areas and then they'll target like a couple of regattas, whether it's nationals and then going overseas and things like for the enjoyment of rowing and to race with your mates. And so, yeah, yeah hopefully we can kind of get a bit more traction on that in the next couple of years after the delays and COVID and things, because it's such a cool idea, like yeah, to do it. Idea. And, like, it's been great for, yeah, like, people's mental health and to still be, like, doing the sport and remembering why you enjoyed it because I think rowing is easy to kind of leave with negative 
Like, I mean, sometimes sport you can leave with negative views because, and there's also no way to kind of find yourself back to the sport mm. until this point. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot. Like, um, have you ever read the Andre Agassi book, Open? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like, he hates tennis. Yeah. Loads Yeah, of he hates, hates tennis. everything. And it's given him so much, but it's also taken away so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, for, like, for so many people, like, it does drain you and some people don't get treated well they don't achieve the things that they want to achieve so that is yeah like really paints a negative view and mm. I think it's really important like if you're in the position to to like try and find your way back and like remember why you loved it so you yeah. can kind of Have give back memories. if that's what you want yeah. to do or yes and and what's your what's your thoughts now on like um yeah high performance sport and stuff like that like do you feel like um in the rowing like you you, you did get enough support and enough help or do you feel like more could have been done for you yeah, I think it's interesting. There's obviously been like a, a lot of invest, like things come out recently. I think that there was always support there. And like, I didn't seek it out because I was, a, because of kind of the, you know, like you needed to be tough. Like there was the like, stigma. yeah, the stigma for a while. And I, I like, I do think that's changing a bit, but there's definitely times where like you couldn't talk about that. And, you didn't want to come across weak because you didn't know how that would impact you and like your selection and things like that. And so there was, it was really hard to talk about those things. And so it kind of didn't motivate you to seek help. Um, And I mean, there was times that like potentially there were red flags raised with like something I said or what I was doing and things weren't followed up. But yeah, like I, I also didn't seek it out. And so I think they're just, I think like communication is really important moving forward. So like you feel like you're in the position where you can go and talk without it impacting your performances or like your selections and things. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, it feels like what you did was very brave. Does it, did, yeah. do you feel brave? You look back on, on your decision and you, you know, it's something you wrestled with a long time, long time. Do you feel brave? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I think the easiest option would have been to keep going and just like waited to Suck break or up. something. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so I do feel brave and I, like for me, I feel like it was one of the first decisions that I made for myself, like for my priority and well-being for like so long. Yeah. Like a lot of the decisions I made was for like my potential success or like for like to be part of the program and things like that. And which did serve me, but this one, yeah, was like the first decision I actually made without thinking about anyone else. Yeah. There was um, a, a couple of pivotal moments um, last year mm. with, um, with with women's women's sport, and I wonder, yeah. um, like uh, Simone Biles yeah, at the yeah, Olympics, yeah. and also yeah. who's the tennis player? Osaka? Naomi Osaka. Yeah. 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 When 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 they um, prioritised their mental health, did you feel sort of validated? Yeah, I guess I I wouldn't say yeah. Like it, it was great to see that there was other people doing it because. Yeah, like, even when I did, like, there wasn't that much talk about, like, people didn't, you didn't see those stories, and so I think it was really, really, really cool to see that people were doing it, and those those women that have, like, huge profiles, Mm. because it's just highlighting, like, the importance of looking after yourself, and that, like, you can actually burn out, and, like, sport is amazing and it's like an amazing opportunity but you're also a human and like and it is just sport and like it is sport and you need to acknowledge that like you have needs as well um yeah because i think it's really easy to get wrapped up in like sport and the opportunity and how athletes are just machines and things like a lot of people see athletes like that because they see them on the peak performances, the pinnacle events, and then they don't see everything that goes in behind it. Yeah. And so I think it's really easy for like like some everyday people to pass judgments and things on that. Um, so I'm really glad and like for the young girls that are pushing themselves a little bit hard to see that their role models are taking a step back means that they might be able to do that as well, or have that conversation. Yeah. What would your message be to any um, any um, like young girls or young women that are listening to this, or the parents of um, yeah young females that are like battling with their weight, or mm. you know obsessing about their weight for whatever reason? Yeah, I think it's like to be brave and seek out you know someone to talk to because often so many of these like illnesses and obsessions and things like they're very internalized and. I guess it's knowing that you're like 
your body is so much more than who you are and that like you should never define yourself by your body and that instead when you're doing sport, like your body is what is going to allow you to perform. So you need to feel your body and like to have those brave conversations, like to not just wait for something to go wrong. Cause I think often when you're hard, like when you're, yeah, when you set high expectations and things like you just, you're waiting for something to go wrong to speak up rather than being preemptive about it. Yeah. Oh, I think that's probably a good place to end it. What a great chat. <laughs> Thanks. Jeez, it's been a tumultuous couple of years. It has been. Yeah, yeah. it has been. But, but like, you seem glowing now. Yeah, I'm... You seem really at peace. I am, I am. And I think, like, I don't regret it because I'm in the position that I'm in now where I want to help other people and I want to, like, work with younger girls and things like that. And I would never have been in this place if I hadn't have gone through that. Yeah. And part of me thinks that, like... It wasn't my destiny to go to the Olympics. It was kind of like my destiny to go through that shit and those years so that I could be in the position that I am in now. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I can look back on it and have regrets and things and oh, wish yeah. it didn't happen. Absolutely not. Yeah. Zoe McBride, student, um, <laughs> girlfriend, daughter. Part-time runner. Part-time runner, yeah, yeah. Oh, are you doing an Ironman? I, I, I think I heard oh. on the podcast you're doing an Ironman. Okay, I'm not doing Ironman, but I want to do an Ironman. Right. I a full or a 70.3? Surely a 70. Well, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, one day I want to do a full Ironman. I think <sighs> when I first said I was going to do the Ironman, like I just finished rowing, really fit still. And like, yeah, since finishing rowing and realizing that my body still needs some recovery in terms of like bone density and things, like, but an Ironman is 100% on my list to tick off for the experience, I guess. Uh, well. <laughs> Oh my god! Imagine what you can eat after going out for an eight-hour training ride. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yum! All the Uber Eats. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Hey, um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Runners Only. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's and, an honour. Yeah. Good luck for everything in the future. Thank you. You too. Thanks very much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. There's a reason I do this message at the end and not the beginning, and that is because you guys who make it all the way through and listen to the little end bit, are the real MVPs. So I have a little favour to ask you. No pressure to do this at all, only if you can be asked. If you don't already, can you subscribe to the podcast? Because um, I was reading some stats, and something like 70% of people just listen each week, but never actually subscribe to the podcast they listen to. Also, if you like and believe in what I'm doing here with this Runners Only platform, please give it a rating or review, or spread the word on social media or in person. I'm of the view that word of mouth is the most effective form of marketing available. And also there's the reality that I've got no budget for anything else. So yeah, if you like it, spread the word. Tell a friend. No pressure, no obligation to do any of this, but the bigger we can grow this podcast, everything will get better. The sound will get better, the videos will get better, the guests will get better. So thank you very much in advance, or if you're not going to do any of that, that's cool as well. The only thing I expect from you guys ultimately is to come along and listen each week. Take it easy, take care of yourself, and see you soon for another episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Want 20% discount on the best earplugs for exercise? Ultra earplugs go in your ears and stay in there. Go to ultraaudio.com, that's U-L-T-R-O, and use the discount code DOM20. That'll save you around $35. That's ultraaudio.com, U-L-T-R-O, and the discount code DOM20. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.